Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I mean, it's like a saying my mom used to say, uh, it must be maple syrup because uh, butter don't drizzle like that. You know, that's why I'm like the maple syrup. That's why she used to always say that because... I'm quick with it. I just drizzle all over the place. How did that guy get into college? <laughs> he plays good football. How did, that, how did that guy get out of college? He plays good football. Same answer. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, for me, a guy who butchers the English language and things all the time, it made me feel good that somebody out there is, is on my level. I don't know. He what, makes you look like Albert Einstein. He does. I don't know what the hell he's <laughs> talking about there. <laughs> F equals TPU trying to figure out whether there's some hidden message there f the playoff oh f the playoff that's it i knew when i saw f i knew that there was there was something that is uniquely f the play up that's right uh that was good well done control room and whoever put that together okay power rankings time week nine because week eight is in the books it's the week nine power rankings we're anticipating how these teams as they're currently configured are going to interact when it's time to play their next games number one Pittsburgh Steelers for the second straight week I didn't think they'd last very long I thought they'd lose to the Ravens but there they are at number one the Chiefs holding steady at number two there was some movement because the Titans lost and the Ravens lost and the Seahawks won and they jumped up and the Bucks won and the Saints won and so we see some activity. And, you know, it's look at it. Every team except the Steelers and the Chiefs had movement in the top half. Right. So, uh, you know, some, some outcomes from this week influencing me. But let's stay with the two that didn't move. Because my good friend, my on-air partner, I can always count on you to have my back. <laughs> I don't swear last night. <laughs> These aren't mine. Oh, some guy comes at you and says, why do you have the Chiefs behind the Steelers? And your knee-jerk reaction is, sorry, these aren't mine. Don't blame me. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, every week when you release the power rackings, I see a few tweets where people, they get mad at me. So... I I finally had enough last night as I go through it and I just sit there and I go, I finally said, wait, I'm Chris Sims. I'm not PFT. These are his rankings. I am a co-host on PFT four days a week, but Mike Florio is PFT. And okay. Yes. Uh, I wanted to stir the pot a little bit because oh, you did. We're, we're I'm, I want, I need, you're going to have to, you're going to change this before the day's over. I'm going to get you to change no, not. it. Yes, you no, are. You oh, know listen, if the listen, Steelers and Chiefs Italian, play, you know this isn't going to work. Well, yeah, I know because you're stubborn as hell, obviously. <laughs> you're in your house doing a show in West Virginia, okay? <laughs> but I, you know you would pick the Chiefs to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in a one-game playoff right now. Would I, I know. I? I don't think you would. Mike Florio, the guy who... I know is scared to pick against Patrick Mahomes. Wax is poetically about him all the time. 
talks about the Chiefs when they raise up to a level and they're awoken with a team that scares them a little bit. And then you watch the damn Ravens Steelers game on on you. We watched it on Monday on film. You yourself said, how the hell did the Steelers win that game? So that counselor, I will rest my case okay. and make the change. All right. Now, now, now. Okay. Here, here's here. I got a question for you, okay. Chris. And yeah. we've got on the screen the poll question that you you tweeted. Uh, question we'll discuss on PFT Live: Who would win this matchup if they played tomorrow? Chiefs, seventy point nine percent. Steelers, twenty nine point one percent. Let Let's. I, and I want you to be candid with me. Yes. If we had done that same poll last week and it was Ravens Steelers, what do you think the spread would have been? of people who would have thought the Ravens would beat the Steelers. Yeah, I, it would have been. I think that it would have been probably about, I'm going to say, 60-40, 55-45 Ravens over Steelers. Yeah. Right. And the Steelers won. I mean, I when, when, when I was in the lab last Wednesday night picking games, and I picked the Steelers to win 27-24, the closest I've had to a hole-in-one all season, picking the, the actual final score of the game, which was 28-24, I look my my everything in my brain said the Ravens are going to win this game. But we all know and this is where, you know, analytics reaches the water's edge and statistical understanding and looking at film and past results etc. There's that visceral sense that there's something about this Steelers team. There's something about them finding a way. They just find a way. Every yep. week they've found a way. And that would – I'm not saying I would definitely pick the Steelers if it was Steelers-Chiefs. I will be honest since I guess I am under oath here and I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I probably would lean heavily toward the Chiefs, but just like, you know, the move's not final until you take your hand off the, the checker, I, I, I would be reminded of the Steelers' uncanny ability to find ways to win, and uh, I hope, I hope to have that dilemma. I hope the Steelers and the Chiefs meet at some point in January. Well, I do too. That would be, I mean, that would be awesome. Certainly, I mean, really. But yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I get it, and they do have a little bit of the factor of like, hey, we're just gonna get it done. It might not always look that way or whatever, but. Man, oh man, I'm not picking against number 15 in red or the Chiefs in any big football game anytime soon. I'm really not. They just deliver too much for for my money that way. And um, okay, all right. So I'll and let me say this. Yes, let me say this. Too. Yes. Let me say this because I'm going to get flooded with emails and tweets saying, "Of course you feel that way because you're a Steelers fan." Look, I grew up 60 miles from Pittsburgh. I was never a Steelers fan. I had to be a contrarian. I had to be different. Trust me. I wish. I hadn't been a contrarian. The 70s would have been a magical decade for me with four Super Bowl championships. I regret that I had to go in a different path from what, oh, you got to be a Steelers fan. Chris, you know me well enough. You know what my reaction would be even yes. at eight years old. No, I don't. Well, we just heard no, it. I don't. When I said you had to change yeah. your ranking, you said, yeah. well, you don't know me because you're the stu you're yeah. one of the most stubborn people I know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but, but, uh, so I, but, but I've been in and around Pittsburgh for almost all of my life. There's something about this organization and it, look, they've, They've only won only six. I mean, it matches the Patriots, but I th this just feels like a year where it's just working and it's going to work. And whoever it is that they're playing, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated, but w when when it's winner take all and the season's riding on it, I, I think this is a team that you you, you want to be very careful about picking against. Well, I, I agree with that. I do. And I don't think there's any team in football that can just come in and you know, control the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, the, no matter who it is, they're going to be in the football game. I would agree with that, too. They're certainly – I mean, yeah, I'm saying the Chiefs are one. They're number two. That's all I'm trying to say. That's all I was trying to say. Now, I want to get to the next part because the next part, I think you moved the Ravens too far down. I think I would, I, I think I would have made the Ravens number three. I really would. The fact that they lost that game to the Steelers and they lost the game to the Chiefs and – Yes, I think the way – hey, listen, the Seahawks are really good. That's a really close one. But I'm just saying I probably would have made the Ravens three and the Seahawks four, and then I'm cool with really everything you have there at the rest of the top ten. You know why I put them down as far as I did? Yeah, why? 
Because there is some sort of organizational defect that pops up when they play the elite teams. Yeah. And it's not just the Chiefs being the Ravens kryptonite. They, they've got an elite team kryptonite issue. And not that the Titans are an elite team, but look at what happened in the playoffs last year. When they come up against these great teams, and, and I saw somebody trying to make the argument that Lamar Jackson is is 0-6 against great teams or something like that. Well, they did beat the hell out of the Rams last year. And I right. said, they did beat uh, Seattle in Seattle, and they did beat right. the 49ers at home too, and the Patriots. Right. Yeah, they, and and they, they, they burst the bubble of the Patriots last year when they were unbeaten. When they beat the Seahawks last year, that was the moment that we started to say right. maybe the Ravens have something. But when they steamrolled the Rams on a Monday night in November of last year, that's when they started to feel like a team of destiny. But but the, I just still feel like there's something missing there. And, and I think that what happened on Sunday – exposed it a little bit more to outplay your opponent that dramatically and still lose, you know, on one hand you can say, ah, it's a fluke. It's an aberration. It's an anomaly. Forget about it. I don't know that it's, it's as easily forgotten because yeah. I think you get to a point where you got guys in the locker room who are thinking, what the hell do we have to do to win games like this? Right. If they beat, if they beat the Titans and the Steelers in a few weeks from now, you know, will that change your thought at least yes. on that? Oh, absolutely. It will. Yes. Okay. Yes. I know. I know. I still isn't sure it's still like, you know, oh, will they get to the playoffs. Will that be a – I mean, we're still going to have the questions there and all that. But, you know, I think this week is still going to be a pretty good test for them. You know, Baltimore – I mean, uh, Baltimore. The old Baltimore, the Indianapolis Colts, they can play some defense. And I would think they are going to somewhat be able to – hold the run game with the Ravens in check a little. I, I wouldn't expect it to be able to 250 type yard, 250 rushing yards this week. I think this scheme might be a little bit more effective as far as stopping Lamar Jackson in the run game. And I think this will be another game that's going to be very important where we're going to go, wait, I think Lamar Jackson in the pass game is going to have to be as equally effective as the run game is for them to win the game. You know, I, I will be surprised if they can just steamroll the, the Indianapolis Colts defense and run them over with a, a, a healthy defensive front and Darius Leonard back in the fold and all those type of things. So that'll be interesting to see uh, how they react this week coming off this loss. All right, the next two teams in the power rankings present a similar dilemma. Seahawks at three, Buccaneers at four. Who would win if they played tomorrow? Tyson Roderick on Twitter says, I'd put the Bucs over the Seahawks. Same kind of high-scoring offense, and the Bucs have a better defense. And you know what? I would have put the Buccaneers over the Seahawks if they didn't look like crap on Monday night against the Giants. Yeah. That's their punishment for not covering the spread, Chris. We both picked them to cover. Oh, my God. I'm 0-3 for my best bets last week. I hadn't even thought of that with all the election anxiety. 0-3. Thanks for the reminder, Pete. Pete takes an unusual amount of glee in our, yes, he does in when, when we have a rough week, he's got this passive aggressive way of being very gleeful about it. Never says crap. And again, I almost said that other word when we have a great week, but when we stumble, he just loves it. Doesn't oh, he, he loves to send that text and email. Doesn't he? He loves it. Oh, rough week for you guys. <laughs> Uh, All right, so uh, yeah. I I think that I think the Buccaneers probably would beat the Seahawks, but I was pissed that the Bucks didn't cover, and and they did they did screw around with the Giants more than they should have. So they had to they they had to see the Seahawks leapfrog them. That was my that was my decision. Yeah, I have no issue with that. I don't. You know, again, I I it it's a close one. It certainly is. Um, I do think that Tampa is. Yeah, a more well-rounded football team. Uh, do, I, do I think they can necessarily win right now, this moment? No, I think that's very close. I'm not going to argue that. I think they have a greater potential to be a better team as it looks right now, you know, eight, nine weeks from now. I think that's where I really look at Tampa to be. You know, can, can I sit in here and say Brady, you know, and that defense as good as it is, is it going to slow down DK and Russell Wilson and company? I don't know. You know, and then Seattle, yeah, I don't expect them to be able to slow down Tampa either. This would be the type of offense that Seattle would really struggle with because, oh, wait, we have to defend the run. They're pretty big up front. They can overpower us. 
and then they have a great passing scheme, let alone the talent around with it, to where I think it would be some sort of type of shootout-type football game. Uh, but I, I'm cool with you there right now. I get that. I mean, Seattle has lost one game, and they outplayed the team they lost to and really, you know, we're a little unlucky to lose that game against Arizona. So even though all their games have been close and everything like that, there's still something to say about like what you said about Pittsburgh. They just seem to find a way to get it done all the time, and there is something to that. And let me say this. For the same reasons I look forward to the Steelers and the Chiefs crossing paths in January, please give me a Tom Brady-Russell Wilson elimination oh, game. Right? Right. Any round. I don't care when. Yeah. In fact, I'd, I'd almost rather it not be for a Super Bowl berth. I'd rather it be because it would be an amazing game whenever it's played. I'm fine with it being divisional round. Yeah. But either way, give me Russell Wilson versus Tom Brady. Uh, Super Bowl 49 rematch with, uh, with one of the quarterbacks on a very different team and uh, a team arguably as good as any team he's been on over the course of the past decade in New England. All right. Uh, number 12, the Miami Dolphins, up six spots, the highest riser of the week. And I, I had to give them credit for what they did to a very good Rams team. It deserved that bump, and we need to take them seriously. How serious of a contender are they, though? I know that we need to see more from yeah. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, but the, the, the first piece of evidence did not cause anyone to say, oh, wow. They got a keeper in Tua. No, it did not. Now the game just didn't lend itself that way. You know, not that he he didn't do he you know, he didn't do great. He didn't do poor. He just did what he had to do in this game to kind of win the football game. He really only made two throws the whole game. You know, it was the slant for a touchdown, which was a great throw. It showed you his quick release. You know, he's got really damn good feet in the pocket. That's the one thing that jumps out too. He's got he can hop and bounce around. And he made that throw kind of hopping backwards and threw a, th a great throw. There was a comeback to the right side. Other than that, it was all screens and dump-offs and things like that. So I don't know what to expect from them. I do know Miami has a lot of pieces that are very impressive, let alone they're coached well. And it is just going to be about you know how far along Tua is. Can they still implement and do all the same things offensively that they were doing with Ryan Fitzpatrick? You know, they've figured out their offensive line. You know, these two receivers they got on the outside as far as Devontae Parker and um, I'm blanking on the other guy's name. Oh, damn, it's killing me here. Um, he's a good damn player. Who's the other receiver that, um, down in uh, Miami? Yeah, I guess it's I guess it's Preston Williams. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking it. But you got those two guys. So there's things to like, especially with that defense. But I don't know how good to say they really are, Mike, until we just see – the offense under Tua and how good he can be and can he make plays and protect the ball and do all those type of things. Uh, Richard Lutz, 1468, wants to know whether or not the Dolphins are a sneaky playoff team. Look, with seven spots, I, I could see them making it, Chris. I don't think that's crazy at they're, all. I yeah, don't. they're four and three right now. Four and three, and they some of their losses, you know, I mean, they had to deal with Cam Newton and the new offense in New England week one. They were right there to – take the game from Seattle in a very close football game. So, yeah, I, I think they are a sneaky playoff team. And, I mean, when you look at Cleveland, who right now is the number seven seed, I mean, what's to make you think that Cleveland is going to beat Miami in a head-to-head -head matchup? I'm not so sure. I would probably take Miami, really. I would definitely take Miami if it was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Right now I just go, oh, I'm not sure because I just want to see more from Tua. But – you know, I, I think there's a lot of playoff-ish type things about that Dolphins football team. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. And look, if the Patriots are going to fade as they seem to be doing, it does create a spot for someone else to rise up and step up. And maybe it will be the Dolphins who replace the Patriots on the AFC playoff tree. The Raiders at number 14, up two spots after they beat the Browns in Cleveland on Sunday. They've had a tough schedule. And Madden G-O-D-24, I guess that would be Madden God 24, I can read. Uh, he, he says, weird, the Raiders beat two of your top five teams. Well, they did beat two of the top five teams in the power rankings. They've beaten the Saints. Who's the other top five team that they beat? All oh, the Chiefs, by the way, the number two team, or as Chris would say, the number one team. But they also got blown off the field by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. The Raiders are just inconsistent. 
and and I don't know what to make of them any given week. I don't know which Raiders team is going to show up. Yeah. They need to start stringing wins together. But if you hang around 500, you have a shot at that seventh seed. We're going to learn something week 11 when they host the Kansas City Chiefs because they have the, have the opportunity to complete the sweep yep. of the team you would say is the best in football. And, uh, you know, the, 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 this, the, there are winnable games. They should beat the Chargers. They should beat the Broncos. They should beat the Falcons. They should beat the Jets. That's four more wins right there. That's eight. Yep. And then the rest of the way, Chargers, Broncos, you complete those sweeps, you got ten wins. Right. This is a team that should be in the mix for a playoff berth. Yeah, they, they, that's what they are. They're a borderline play, a football team. I don't look at them as any threat in any way to go make a run at the Super Bowl or anything like that. But – you know, they're, they're another one of these teams that we've talked about over the last few weeks where I just go, they're a matchup football team. You know, it depends on the matchup to how they're going to be able to play. I mean, you've seen that, you know, anytime, you know, they, they have issues on their roster as far as the defensive side of the ball, especially, you know, and when a team is balanced on offense, they have a hard time stopping it. Now they matched up well with Cleveland last week because Cleveland, you know, if they can't run the ball, their offense is offensively challenged. And that's good. You know, those are the type of teams they produce against right now. But yeah, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how good the Raiders football team is. The one thing they do is they're tough. They can run the football. That gives them a great advantage. Their defense, they got some good cover guys. But other than that, they really don't have anything else. And I would think that, yes, next time they play Kansas City, who's ever since they played the Raiders, have shown a lot more versatility in their offense and ways they can beat you, they'll be ready for some of the things the Raiders did to them the first time, and they won't be asleep at the wheel and take it for granted. And I think they'll probably end up putting the Raiders back in back in their place that way. But I do expect the Raiders to be in this conversation, like you said. Let's look at the back half of the power rankings. The Eagles up four spots to number 17 how encouraging was that win over the Cowboys, Chris? Because th there wasn't a whole lot in it to look at and say, wow, hey, they've turned the corner. But the reality is they're in the NFC East, so there isn't really a corner to turn. No, there's not. And it, I don't feel any better. I mean, honestly, after a game like that, you, I feel worse. I mean, I do. You just go, I mean, what, at what point are they, they going to start playing good football, at least just good football, to where they don't screw it up? And then Carson Wentz, of course, was a big part of that. I know that. You know, so – yeah, I mean, he's an issue in the fact that he just can't rein it in at times and continues to make really, really stupid mistakes. There's no other way to say that. Um, but I don't think that's going to totally just fix itself right now because, one, they need him to, you know, tote the line of danger as far as making plays and not doing that because they, can't, they don't have anybody that can make a play on their offense. And I don't know if that'll change until they get some guys back and healthy and take a little pressure off him that way. But there are some things about their team to like and go, ooh, if they win the NFC East and they get healthy, they could be a pain in the butt for some team they have to play in the playoffs. They're not going to just be able to team that I look at, you're just going to be able to roll over and go, we're going to win. It's the NFC East winner, the Eagles, no chance. Uh, I, I don't see it that way. I still think they got a little fight and something to, something to be said there. We're we're never gonna get you to stop saying tote the line, are we? No, I, I'm no. just not. I'm just not even gonna try anymore. You know I'm what's just crazy? Accept the fact that it's an appropriate term, even if it isn't. Thank you. I think I just go with it. Just it's just a simsonism, yeah. and that's just the way it is. <laughs> okay, uh, a couple more real quick. Because can we put that graphic back up? The market was very volatile this week. My goodness, when I look at it now, I wonder. Uh, about my sanity and or sobriety when I was putting it together. But there are reasons for every one of these moves. And I said that the uh, the Dolphins were the highest risers. I gave the Vikings a bump after beating the Packers on the road of seven spots. Yeah. And you know what? Based on the way they played this past weekend, they deserve to be at number 20, Chris. I don't know that they can keep it up. And basically, it's an elimination game this weekend against the Lions, who fell four spots after losing to the Colts convincingly. Whoever wins that game still has a shot at maybe getting lucky and getting hot down the stretch. Whoever wins that game has that opportunity. Whoever loses is done. Are you back on the bandwagon? No. Damn. The annulment, the annulment's still pending. All right. So are you just going to join the Steelers fandom finally and make up for the mistake no. you messed up with no. in the 70s? 
no, 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 no. What what I'm doing is I'm enjoying a football season that for a long time I worried would not happen or would be incomplete, and I'm still worried we're not going to get 256 regular season games. So I'm just trying to enjoy every moment, enjoy every day, enjoy every second of working with someone like you. And and however it plays out, it plays out. They'll crown a champion, they'll shoot the confetti, and then we move on to the next season. That's how I'm looking at it. But, um, yeah, how about the Bengals at 19? Mm-hmm. They're 2-5-1. and one. I love Joe Burrow. I love his confidence. I love the swagger. Is there a way, is there a way that they can maybe, maybe? I mean, they've been swept by the Browns. That's I know. The I they don't just think won so. One of those games against Cleveland. Right. I, I know. I don't think so. I think that they'll play some playoff caliber teams here down the stretch and be a pain in the butt for them. I do because he just he's he's a hell of a player. And listen, they've fixed their, they've figured out their defense a little bit too, to at least where that just doesn't get crushed anymore. And they can make some stops, and they got some cover guys and good safeties in the back end, so they're a little bit better that way. But yeah, Burrow gives them a fighting chance because he's so smart, he's so accurate, he's really like a veteran as far as his decisions and getting the ball out of his hands and not putting the team in bad positions. And then of course he makes plays when nothing is there. I mean, more times than not, it still ends up being there because Joe makes it happen. I mean, there was a lot of plays last week in that game where I went, nothing's there. There's not one guy open. The pass protection's not that great. And here he goes moving around and making some damn throw, and you just go, well, okay, first down Bengals. Let's go. And uh, that's where he's going to be a pain in the butt for some of these teams coming down the stretch. He's never going to concede anything this year, and he's going to continue to believe that the Bengals have a chance even when they're mathematically eliminated, and all of that is going to serve them well in the future as soon as next year. These growing pains now, I think, are going to make them even better, and they're a team that we just already need to kind of circle for 2021, depending upon what they do in the draft, what they do in free agency, and Burrow may be a guy who attracts other players to come to Cincinnati and want to be part of it. They they could have something special going in Cincinnati. So maybe maybe as I look for a new favorite team, maybe the Bengals are going to get some consideration. If they just get rid of that damn helmet, they would be a more attractive option. I'm I'm with you. Don't get me started on their damn uniforms. I've been saying that forever. (laughs) They need a rebrand. Real quickly, is the Terminator dead? I don't think I've ever had the Patriots at 23. They probably weren't at 17. As of last week, are they done? I don't, I'm not going to say they're done. They're, I mean, they're on their last like lifeline. I mean, if they're a nine cat, they're, they're a cat with nine lives. They've lost eight of them. I mean, they really have, there's very little room for error. You know, they do have a chance here to make a run, you know, other than the Ravens coming up on their schedule, the rest of the games where I wouldn't say they're favorites, I still can go, Oh, they can beat that football team. So you look at the Jets, the Ravens, the Texans, the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Rams. I I mean, hey, I wouldn't be shocked if they went on some sort of four out of the next five type win. I'm not going to count them out completely yet. I'm not. I'm not expecting it, but I still think they're going to have one more push or one more say uh, in this thing. Let's talk about the team that the Patriots faced next Monday night at MetLife Stadium, the New York Jets. Many Jets fans, if not every Jets fan, believes Adam Gase should be fired. Does general manager Joe Douglas agree? We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. <laughs> Mr. Mercedes is a Peacock-exclusive drama series based on the best-selling trilogy by Stephen King. Detective Bill Hodges is coaxed out of retirement and into a thrilling chase with serial killer Mr. Mercedes. Full episodes are available now right here on Peacock. Start streaming today, Chris. I think I'm going to start streaming it today. Are I think you? I am. Okay. I said I was going to do it Monday. I had to watch some games. Yesterday, the election kind of got in the way of life. Yeah. And uh, maybe today. Maybe today a little Mr. Mercedes. I've read the book, though. And you know what? It's been long enough that I've read the book. I, I hate when I've read a book and then I see a movie or the TV series because I'm constantly comparing the book to the movie slash TV show. It's been long enough that I've read the book. It was a couple see? of years, so that won't that won't that won't affect my enjoyment. Don't read, show, and you I'm won't saying. have those problems. See, I don't have those issues. I don't read, and I just I never have to worry about that. It's really good. You will eventually you <laughs> will eventually have an opportunity to double your <laughs> lifetime reading list from one to two. Get ready. Get ready. I don't know what you do to prepare yourself to actually read, but get ready. You may have some reading to do. All right, I've got some reading to do here. It's time for me to throw to Joe Douglas, Jets general manager, yesterday first talking about his quarterback, third overall pick in the 2018 draft, Sam Darnold. Here's Douglas. I think you see you see the flashes of, of what he can be, and they're really special. Um, Let's not forget that Sam's a 23-year-old quarterback that is maybe one of the toughest quarterbacks I've ever been around. So, um, no, I'm I'm very excited about Sam. You know, then then going off of going off of that and, and believing that if you surround him with more talent, you know, he can he can be a top-tier quarterback and, and ultra talented. I think is what you said. Why not commit to him definitively as your quarterback in in 2021? Well, I have no problem saying that he's. He's a, he is our best quarterback and our quarterback for the future. Well, there it is, Sam Darnold. But now, not not that any of it's binding, right? They can change their mind if they want to. I'm not sure. But yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I look. It's it's we've heard stuff like this before. You got to get through the season. You're yeah. trying to get a win. You don't want to say, "Well, we really don't know about Sam Darnold for next year." That's not the way to try to coax a win out of Sam Darnold. But when next year rolls around, you can make a different decision. Also, you don't want to tip your hand. You don't want to prejudice your ability to maybe trade him to someone. You know, you always want to be able to say we want to keep him. So I I don't necessarily buy it. Look, he hasn't been anything close to the guy that we thought he was going to be. It just seems like yesterday that three years ago he was regarded as the top prospect in the 2018 draft, even though you continuously pronounced his name Darno. Do you remember those days? I do, yes, yes. You eventually figured out it's Darnold. And we eventually figured out that, uh, you know, he, he's not the best. Where, where would you put him among the, the first-rounders? And we, we know Lamar Jackson's one, and we know Josh Rosen's five. Right. Where do the other three fall well, right now? Josh, Josh Allen's, Allen's two. two, for sure. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. And then it becomes between Baker and Sam. And So who is it? It, it's, it is tough. I'm not going to lie. I, man, I'll give Baker the edge right now, but it's not by a lot. It's not, and I'm not so sure it's not just because he's got a little more talent around him just to show a little bit more of his talent. Now, yes, Sam Darnold was always, in my opinion, over, you know, what do I want to say, overdrafted, overpublicized. He had a few big games on national TV, especially being the Penn State game and the Rose Bowl, and everybody just went, oh, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, Penn State couldn't play defense, but – and then he became some people's highest-rated quarterback I've ever seen in the history of the NFL draft. And then he had a pro day, and he threw the ball, and it was raining, and people were going, it was like the movie The Natural. I mean, it's amazing what he was doing. He, he could throw in the rain. So he was very overhyped by that, and that didn't help him to where he came to New York, and people thought he was just going to be able to carry the football team. And no, he's not. 
He's not that type of talent. He is the type of talent that can be a franchise quarterback, though, regardless of what's happened. The Jets made the Cardinals sin of, one, hiring a horrible ex-GM, and then he made a horrible you know, decisions, I should say, because he wasn't a good GM, that he didn't give the guy any talent. He gave him no hope, zero hope. I, you know, again, we could talk about this all the time, but I don't care who you are. Patrick Mahomes got to go into Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and all these other weapons and everything like that. You know, you need something there, and I'll be interested to see what they do with the Jets because I like Sam Darnold. I think they can win with him going into the future. He's not Trevor Lawrence, though. I can say that. I, you know, I haven't studied Trevor Lawrence that way yet, but I've seen enough of him to go, he is clearly the best quarterback, and he has clearly got potential to be a big-time superstar in the NFL. And that's where the Jets are going to have a lot of thinking to do if uh, they continue on this path here. And you mentioned their ex-GM, Mike McCagnan. Look, he, he had that job longer than he should have. I, I like Mike. Nice guy. Met him. Talked to him. But when you look at the decisions that were made, miss after miss after miss, Christian Hackenberg. What? What? That, that was Hey, that was one of the reasons why they didn't evaluate and draft Patrick Mahomes. I know. They had their franchise quarterback in Christian Hackenberg. Where's he right now? What yeah. has he ever done? Did he ever even play in the NFL no. other than in the preseason? I don't think he did. No, and and no, and no, and no. I mean, that he was... He washed out of the AAF. That's one of the worst picks in the history of football. That really is. And listen, we could talk about Mike McCagan and all that. To me, this still goes back to ownership of the Jets. The ownership for the Jets stinks. There's no other well, way to say it. All right? I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. And the look, process they went about to hire Mike McCagnin is the dumbest damn thing in the world. So that's Stop where, hiring consultants. Right. Stop hiring consultants because what they're going to do is they're going to tell you to hire their, their friend, friend, their protege, <laughs> right. their family member. Right. You hire Mike McCagnin, who is Charlie Casserly's right-hand man at one point in Houston. So now Casserly's still in the game. Casserly can call Mike McCagnin and, you know, feel like he's got some juice and feel like he's got some influence. And maybe he shouldn't have any influence if Mike McCagnin is the guy he recommended. I don't know why these owners do it. I know why they do it, Chris. Because a lot of them don't know what the hell else to do. Exactly. And they don't know where to turn. And they don't know who to ask because their ego prevents them right. from asking one of the other owners for advice. Yes. No. Or, or yeah, they don't want to hear advice from a smart football person because they don't like the advice they're going to get. They've already got themselves in this little room of their own thoughts and, oh, this is what I think and I don't care. And so then they hire other people that just tell them that kind of crap. Hey, I mean, it's it's an issue. Hey, we could talk about the team across town from the Jets. You know, they listen to Ernie Accorsi with Dave Gettleman and all that type of thing, too. The same type of crap where I just want to go, why? Why are we asking guys who are out of the game and not really in touch anymore to be the one to recommend who should run your football team? That makes but beyond that, no sense. Beyond that, what, what you're getting, you're not getting an unbiased scientific recommendation you're tapping into the network of cronies and friends and avoiding any enemies, even if there's some guy out there that would be the perfect GM if the consultant doesn't like that guy and wants to settle some score from 15 years ago, he's not getting recommended for the job. So, you know, you're, it's a human being. It's not some repository of football excellence that's going to spit out the right name. It's a human being that's going to have the same biases and prejudices as anyone else. And uh, you get you get what you pay for yep. in that situation. All right. Joe Douglas also addressed Adam Gase and his status. And some believe after Monday night's game, if they lose to the Patriots, he'll be fired. Here's Douglas talking about his current head coach. I'm going to say that this is this is not all on Adam. You know, um, again, I, I have to do a better job of surrounding surrounding um, him with with uh, better players and better weapons. You know, we're we're um, we're in this together. I'm I'm going through and thinking of everything I can do to try to try to help Sam or help Adam. And you know, the goal is to get this fixed together. So you're saying he's part of the solution then? Yes. That last answer, I wonder what he was looking for off camera. Well, I, he's, he looking make, <laughs> he's looking at note cards. He's looking at note cards of all these answers. He's, he's got reminders there. It looks but, like to me. But I think I think he was looking for the closest exit, 
and or to make sure that if he said yes, Christopher Johnson wasn't standing there with a big hammer, right? Uh, Is it okay? Can I say yes? Okay, it's yes. And look, here's the reality. When Mike McCagnan was fired after the 2018 draft, right? 2018 draft. Yeah. 2019 draft. What draft? No. 2019 draft. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Wait, wait. He was fired after 2019 draft. It was. 2019 Joe Douglas had one draft. One draft. 2020. Um. Joe Douglas was the first name mentioned because that was the perception that it would be Adam Gase's handpicked guy. So this isn't the traditional GM coach relationship. These two guys are closer to being like this with maybe a little bit of Gase. You know, we've lost sight of that over the last year and a half. Yeah, right. So to the extent that there's this belief they're going to throw Gase out and Joe Douglas is going to get to hire someone else – Maybe they maybe they just press the hard reset button, you know, and here's the other dynamic to consider, depending upon the outcome of the election. And we don't know what it's going to be. But if the guy who appointed Woody Johnson to be the U.S. ambassador to the U.K. loses, Woody's coming back. Here's the thing, though. Will Woody be back by early January when the hiring season typically starts? Or will he be back more like April, May, June when it's too late to really do anything? You know, there's a chance that the status quo is going to hold for the Jets, that Christopher Johnson is going to understand exactly where they are, why they are, how they got there, why they got there, and why they need to not start over again because nothing good is going to come from starting over again unless they would get the Trevor Lawrence pick and then use Trevor Lawrence and the opportunity to get Trevor Lawrence as the centerpiece for moving forward with a coach that that, that would – that would want to and crave the opportunity to coach Trevor Lawrence. No, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it. I'm with you. I don't think it's like just a slam dunk. Gase is out of there, but I will say, just up here in the New York area and things like that. I, you know, again, I think the Jets are going to have a hard time not kind of folding to the public pressure when it comes to Adam Gase. I do. I just, and again, a guy that I'll sit here and say a lot of the same things I just said about Sam Darnold. I mean, what does people expect? He was left a pile of crap from Mike McCagnan and everything like that. Joe Douglas did some good things this offseason, you know, and some of the things that I think he thought might work out, some of these under-the-radar value-type free agent signings maybe didn't work out quite as well as he had hoped, certainly. You know, but you can't blame this all on Adam Gase. But unfortunately, as you and I both know, perception starts to become reality. And up here in New York, I just think everybody has already chalked it up. They've already chalked it up. And that's the fight that Gase and the Jets would have to deal with if they stayed status quo. And that, to me, ultimately, I think, is where they will bend and break and ultimately fire Adam Gase just because I think the public and the fans here just won't take anything else other than that. Yeah, I think that a lot of PR work would have to be done to turn this around. And it's not nearly enough for Joe Douglas to say, I failed to give Adam Gase enough pieces because really Joe Douglas is being diplomatic here. He hasn't been there long enough to give him enough pieces. It's the prior guys pile of crap that both Douglas and Gase are now trying to scrape off of their shoes as they try to remain employed. Apologize for the graphic example as you're enjoying your breakfast. Let's take a break. When we return, we've got a draft today. Midway through the season, the comeback player of the year candidates because we couldn't think of anything else. We're going to do that when PFT Live continues. Right I'm feeling good, man. My, my ankle feeling good. I'm straight. I'm feeling real good, man. Hopefully, a couple weeks. Say about like three weeks to a month. I should be ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, I plan on coming back this year. Von Miller planning to play this year. We thought he was done for the season. I don't know if that qualifies him for comeback player of the year. Usually it's not a guy who comes back in the season and plays when we didn't think he was going to. And the one name that stands out in that regard, and I still have that image of Rod Woodson when he returned and played in the Super Bowl after tearing his ACL right. week one against the Lions yeah. in the 1995 season. They never put him on injured reserve. Back then, if you were on injured reserve, you were done for the year. He came back. They held the roster spot. He played in the Super Bowl, and that was amazing. Um, okay, here we go. L- let's do this first. Uh, oh, by the way, the, the the Bears have released Ted Ginn. How about that? Wow. Just got word. Yeah. Well, uh, he hasn't yeah. been doing anything there. You know, they they – 
the the kid Mooney, who they have at receiver, he kind of took the spot of the fast throw it down the field type guy to where I think Ginn became a little bit expendable that way. Uh, so, uh, yeah, off he goes. And the thing is, if he's released today, again, he's got to pass through waivers. And if someone claims him, then the Bears aren't on the hook for the balance of his salary this year. A couple of tweets we got with some impactful midseason trade additions. Just a couple real quick here because we got to get to the draft. Yeah, cool. Uh, welcome to Suxonville, says Marcel Darius. Huge impact on the Jaguars' 2017 run defense. I can get behind that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a pretty damn good one. No doubt about it. And, and Jay Broska, 55, Marshawn Lynch was traded to the Seahawks during the 2010 season, and that was the season that culminated in the Beastquake run. So even though they didn't get beyond the next round, that had an impact on the right. uh, on the Booger uh, McFarland to the Colts back in 2006. That was a pretty damn good one, too. Yep. All right. You get the first pick in the comeback player of the year uh, candidates draft. Go. Wow. There's a lot to pick from here. Um, damn. I don't even know which one. I'm going to go with Big Ben first. I mean, I'm mean, yeah, Big Ben at his age. Big Ben, Big Ben. How can you not do the song? I was just about to, and you're right. How did I drop the ball there? But, yes, I am going with him. I mean, it's like clockwork, baby. Big Ben, Big Ben, Big Ben, Big Ben. I mean, at his age, 7-0 and football team, playing good football, making big throws in every game. And the big thing is not messing up any games either to where it's put them in a tough spot to where they have to come back or anything like that. But I guess the severity of that injury, you know, throwing elbow at his age and then to come back and still look the way he does and everything and leading that football team, I'm going to make him one. Peter King said a few weeks back that if Alex Smith takes even one snap this year, he gets his vote for comeback player of the year. Alex Smith did play. I argued a couple of weeks ago he should be the starter. Maybe we'll see him at some point, but we've seen enough given the devastating nature of that injury that almost claimed his life, and if not his life, his leg, Alex Smith would be my first pick. Yeah, okay. That's a good one. I, I hear you there. I mean, he certainly was on my list. I don't know how I can't go to Alden Smith. I mean, the guy was out of football for five freaking years. I mean, that's just – it's insane to me. And that he is sitting here right now – at 13th in football and sacks with five, I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing. Again, uh, it just, there's not many people in the history of the sport who could take five years off, come back, be a starter, and then not just be like, oh, hey, yeah, he starts for us, but we're looking to replace him. Like, oh, no, he starts and he's one of our better players on the defensive side of the ball. That is uh, mind-boggling to me. I don't know, maybe just as much mind-boggling as the Alex Smith thing, really. It's very close. It's crazy how good he's doing. He's tailed off a little bit the last yeah. four weeks, but he, he should have been the defensive player of the month in the NFC for September. I don't know whether there's some bias against him in the league office and the people who make those selections. There was a week he should have been defensive player of the week. He should have been defensive player of the month. And, and maybe he'll get votes for comeback player of the year. Next one for me, even though I still don't like that stupid drizzles like maple syrup thing from last week i gotta go with gronk yeah it took him a while to get up to speed he was running in maple syrup the first few weeks of the season but now he's doing gronk things and after taking a full year off of football and unretiring i'd have to give gronk serious consideration yeah i i that was the one i struggled with between him and alden smith and you know especially the way Gronk's looked the last three weeks, you just go, uh-oh, he looks like the old Gronk to me. I mean, it's it's very close. It's impressive. It's certainly he's gotten back into I'm a mismatch and you better think about who you want covering me type territory, and that's pretty damn impressive. Man, there's a lot of good ones. I mean, really. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even know where to go here. You know, I got Bradley Chubb here. Um, I even put Todd Gurley in. I know it's not like – officially one of those guys, but he's having a secretly great year after we all thought he was done. I mean, even Alvin Kamara, and I put Miles Garrett in the list here, but I'm going to give love to somebody who has not gotten love, and I want to do it. Stefan Tuitt, okay, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He, the Steelers have three pass rushers that are in the top seven in football and sacks. Stefan Tuitt is at number seven with six sacks. He's a guy that is a true beast who's dealt with injuries a lot over the last few years and is a phenomenal football player. So I just want to give him some love because when I watch the Steelers every week, I go, whoa, is he the best defensive player on the team? I mean, it's that kind of good. So uh, good for him bouncing back this year.
He had two sacks, three tackles for loss, and three quarterback hits on Sunday against the Ravens. And there was one play where he looked like Aaron Donald, the way that he just completely shot, almost like picked up and threw yeah. the guy who was blocking him en route to sacking Lamar Jackson. Last one for me, Teddy Bridgewater. Even though he was 5-0 and last year, okay. he, he wasn't a starter. He's back after that long, arduous journey from the fluke-torn ACL with other damage that supposedly nauseated teammates, and he looks good. And his team is, for a rebuilding team, they're not bad. They've been competitive, and Teddy has looked very, very good. So that's it. And there are plenty of others out there that could get consideration. I have a feeling it's going to be Alex Smith or Big Ben, though, especially if the Steelers keep doing what they're doing. I think Tom Brady could maybe get consideration because last year he wasn't very good. Right. This year he's pretty damn good. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, we will wrap up this Wednesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. We'll be right back. Big weekend on NBC from a sports standpoint. Breeders' Cup World Championships, Clemson, Notre Dame, NASCAR, Cup Series Championship, and then the game. One of the biggest games of the weekend. Saints, Buccaneers, Antonio Brown will be on the field for Tampa Bay. Drew Brees, Tom Brady going back and forth with the all-time touchdown pass record. Great, great game to cap a great weekend of sports action on NBC. Let's hear from Tom Brady Monday night, Jim Gray of Westwood One, talking about Tom Brady letting Antonio Brown live in the house he's renting from Derek Jeter. Antonio is a good friend of mine, and again, we've uh, gotten to know each other pretty well over the years. So he's just getting settled, and I know he's looking for places, but it's just nice to be able to to have him around. And you know, we're getting to work, and he likes to be integrated into what we're doing. And big transition for him moving across the state and really not knowing anyone. So you know, again, just trying to be a great teammate and help someone out. You know, is a, is a friend of mine. That's a great teammate. That's a great teammate. Opening your house to a guy who's got the money to get a hotel room. That's a hell of a teammate, Chris. Well, it, it is. It, I mean, there's no – Brady is a great teammate. That's what he is. I mean, again, uh, it, it, I never saw anything but that in my time in New England. I've never felt or heard anything other than that in my time playing or being around the NFL. You know, he really is that way. He's awesome, and that's why he's a great leader. And he can make young guys and old guys and guys in the middle all feel like they're a part of this thing. He's very charismatic, and it's real to him. It's natural. It's not like it's a fake politician. So uh, that's one of the great gifts Brady brings to your football team. To borrow or flat out steal a line from Shereen Williams last night on PFTPM, just make sure he doesn't get upset and start throwing furniture out the window. Ah, he can and afford on, it. Brady will pay on it. That Put note, it on his tab. The Dan Patrick Show is next on Peacock. Everybody have a great day. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.